Welcome back to The Brandon White Show, where we have conversations worth listening to give you an edge to win in your business and your life. I'm your host, Brandon White. Here we go. Welcome back to The Edge Podcast, giving you the edge to win in business and in life. Here's your host, Brandon White. Thanks for joining today, Tyler. I appreciate it. Thanks for waiting a minute. Sometimes these things get crazy and I always got to use the head. No problem. No problem. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, right on. I was, uh, we met, I, I, I was trying to remember, we have a mutual friend and I think he was talking to me something about you guys and I, and I looked up your website and I realized that you make this really cool thing for tailgates. You probably make a bunch of other things, which we can talk about. And I don't have a truck. I have an yeah. SUV, but I see all these trucks here in Northern California driving around with their bikes. Right. And I always wondered, like, doesn't it bother you to put the bike over the back of your freaking <laughs> tailgate and scratch the living crap out of your truck? Right. And when Jim somehow, like I said, we were talking about you guys or he was talking to me about you guys. And I was like, I want to talk to those guys. And then I read your story and I think you have a good story. So thanks for coming on the show and being willing to share what you guys are doing. And I know that the pandemic wasn't easy and business sort of been tough, but it sounds like you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. This is my first time ever running a company with, uh, you know, luckily I have my brother, Dylan, who's a co-founder to be my this. So I'm the CEO. Dylan is the CEO. And, uh, I mean, kudos to anyone who has their own company and runs it by themselves. I mean, it's difficult enough, you know, doing it with him and I at the helm. So kudos to anyone out there who is doing it by themselves. It's, uh, it's quite the feat, but you know, when, uh, when anything is your own, it's a whole different perspective. You know, it doesn't feel like work so much. I mean, it's retired. Yes, there's challenges, but when you start it and you're running it, it's your own. It just takes on a whole different meaning. So we're very thankful. You know, I, I'm sure that I'm in history to start a company, but no matter where you are, I think that uh, that there will always be challenges. So yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, honestly. So Cache, is that right? I was look cash. looking at your website. You cash, cash. Sorry, you. That's my dyslexia. It's absolute finest right there. The the how did you get started? And for listeners out there, can you just describe what the product is? Cause we talked about bikes a little bit and, and what it is, but yeah, give your elevator pitch. And then how did you actually start a business? You, you're talking about that you're a first time business owner. Like, is this something you always wanted to start your own business or how did it work? So elevator pitch. So my brother Dylan and I, as I mentioned, we have a background growing up in Utah as call it outdoor, you know, people call it enthusiasts. You know, we just grew up in Salt Lake City where Really, within 20 to 30 minutes, you can be, depending on the weather, you can be mountain biking, fly fishing. For us, we grew up in an area where we had access to Snowbird and Alta Ski Resort, you know, within about really 20 minutes away from where we lived. And that's actually where the company uh, name is from. Uh, the name of the forest where we back up to is called the Wasatch Cache National Forest. So Cache is the name of our company. We invented the world's first modular tailgate system. So what is that? You know, just like you're saying, you know, for years, Dylan and I were into mountain biking. He was actually a bike mechanic. I worked in the sports marketing world for, for one of the larger outdoor sports companies. 
And we were always mountain biking, you know, we're always skiing, we're always doing these things. And there was always the same product out there for tailgate pads, you know. So for anyone that, you know, mountain bikes, anyone that's in the half moon, you know, Northern California, Santa Cruz, this isn't, you know, anything new to you guys, but you have a pickup truck. And then for years, companies have been making the same. So the purpose of this is to go over the back of the tailgate on your pickup. And then you take your mountain bike to the back and then you kind of, well, for a long time, no one even had like tie downs. But the idea was that it's easy to transport. You know, there's other ways of doing it. Obviously, like you said, you know, you have an SUV, there's going to be hitch mounts and things like that. But for us, we saw the tailgate pad that every company was making, always the same. And, uh, you know, go back 16. I remember it was actually funny enough. It was actually Memorial weekend of 2016. Me, my dad and. My brother Dylan, we met up in a little town in California called Bishop, uh, which is where a lot of our family is from. We're sitting there, we're hanging out late, we're drinking beers, we're sitting on the back of the truck and we just start talking ideas. You know, we really didn't like, we didn't go on this trip thinking, Hey, let's like, we're just kind of late night. You know, we're talking, we're having fun and we're talking products and tailgating and Dylan kind of had this idea where he said, you know, for, for years, you know, as a bike mechanic and working in bike shops, people would come in, they would buy these tailgate pads that everyone has. They're not very durable. And the second thing is that because you just cinch it on and then you, you know, you go on the trailhead, you're biking for two, three hours, you come back and it's gone. So he had this idea of like, what if there was some way to lock it down? And from that, we started talking, man, that would be cool. And it's funny to kind of think back on it. And I wish that we'd written down exactly what we were thinking, but somehow it turned into, well, what if we could also attach accessories to this, you know? And so we started kind of conceptualizing this idea of a, like much more than a bike pad, you know, a tailgate accessory. I'd actually gone to college in North Carolina. Um, you know, I was living at the time in Chicago, but I'd lived like in the Southeast and knowing what the tailgating industry is, you know, being from Utah, it's fun. Because everyone's like, you know, the University of Utah and BYU and their big school is here. But living in North Carolina where, you know, you have UNC Chapel Hill, Duke, NC State within 40 minutes of each other, like those schools. And then you get into Ohio State, like tailgating is a scene, right? So for us, it was this idea of, well, we want to make obviously a tailgate pad for mountain biking and we want to build one that could have a lock on it somehow. And we... And we started just kind of conceptualizing this idea of catchable accessories. And what does everyone like to do, whether you're tailgating or after a mountain bike ride or at prey ski, you sit at the truck and you hang out and you sit on the tailgate. And so we started with that idea. And, you know, I mean, fast forward, it's crazy, almost six years now. I mean, six years now, we invented a product and we actually just released a base camp 2.0. So in a very kind of elevator pitch, we wanted to make a modular tailgate system. We had no idea how to do it, how to start. Certainly capital is always a big part of those conversations. But from there, we just kind of fast forwarded into maybe we know someone that can help with design. You know, we had a friend in Salt Lake who helped us kind of conceptualize the tech pack. And then uh, from there, I mean, here we are and I'm sitting in our warehouse slash office looking at a ton of brand new inventory that just arrived. So. Yeah. So from that tailgate and that story, tailgating, and you say 
entrepreneurs always look back and they're like, yeah, and we met a guy and he designed it. Like, right. that, that's not the, I mean, sure. When you look yeah. back and you live through, through hell and you, yeah. you're gr- starting to grow, it's easy to look back and, and just say that. The challenge with that is, is that people who are in business, like there's a ton of lessons between what you just said. And that, that, that would be nice to, that for me, the whole reason I even want to do the show is because there's never the story behind the story. And sure, everybody wants to talk about that. Hey, we won the outdoor industry award this year and we're cranking. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's good for your customers, but the community of business owners always wants to be like, Hey, well, what are you doing? So from that concept, you're in yeah. sports marketing. Your brother's a mechanic, which, Arguably is putting things together, but to build something at scale, you've, I mean, you, you've got to draw it. You've got to design it. You've got to fit it. You guys have, and I've been in this business before you, not your business, but this a product business where you have to fit multiple things. You got to figure out a product that can work on all tailgates for trucks because you're going to make, you're going to be weather tech and, you know, and he's built an incredible, absolutely incredible business by making mats per car because of the right. way they do it. I mean, it's insane, right. but it's really hard in the beginning. Like you can't make a mat for every car. So you guys have a lot of challenges. Are you going to make it for the Ford? Are you going to make it for the Chevy? going to make it for yeah. the Tundra? I mean, yeah. so, so how did you guys think about that when you started? Yeah. You know, so kind of going back to the beginning and, and challenges, we started that idea and, you know, that led to a very late night of, you know, we were more concerned about what's the name, you know, what's the fast forward about a month after this, we got connected with a really good friend and really just kind of partner who is still very much active in our company on the design side. His name is Jason. He owns a design company that basically, you know, his whole tagline was bring me your cocktail napkin and we'll take you to production. And we literally I like that elevator pitch. Yeah. You know, I can't speak highly enough about team because that's exactly what we did. We brought this idea that was a sketch and we don't know anything about tech packs. We don't know anything about industrial design, but we did have the, you know, the vision and more than that, you know, the, the hunger to keep it going. We started working with Jason and it became very apparent that we knew that we were going to have to have capital. I mean, right out the gate, Dylan and I can genuinely say dumped every penny that I had in savings and that Dylan had in savings just to get started. You have this idea and, and I'm thankful that, you know, people will reach out to me about, I have this idea. What do you think? And, and I always tell them, I'm like, if you're going to do this, like get some capital going and make sure that you have enough because our number one challenge in the beginning was capital and just getting started. So well, everybody's every, I mean, Tyler, everybody says that because all entrepreneurs yeah. think that money's going to fix their problem. Well, my first question right. is, did you guys quit your jobs? Dylan and I stayed full time at both of our jobs and, you know, they call it a side hustle. And I mean, at that time I was married, but I didn't have kids. So I certainly had a lot more time then, but we were both still working full time and we just put everything that we had into it in terms of time and capital that was available to us. This episode is sponsored by the Halle Financial Team at Expert Lending. Buying a house in today's market is competitive, and you need a lender that can close fast and get you the very best rate. The team is licensed in 48 states and has over 20 years experience in the real estate and lending space and access to lending rates that most mortgage brokers can't get. I know. 
because I'm an investor in the team. If you need a mortgage or know someone that does, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086 and talk to a real human who will give you the customer service you deserve. Again, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086. Now back to the show. So you, uh, we're at 2016 and yep. in your, in your journey. Yeah. So 2016. So we're getting through tech pack and then fast forward to January, 2017. Like I mentioned, my dad was from the beginning, you know, I'd say just a cheerleader and, you know, an overall just like, Hey, you guys can do this. Obviously he was sitting there on the tailgate with us from the beginning. And, uh, yeah, you know, I got one of those phone calls that, forever changed our lives that our dad had passed away suddenly. And uh, it, understandably so, just put a halt not only on cash, but just for life in general. I had an extremely close relationship with my dad, as did Dylan. And uh, good or bad, you know, someone passing away. And I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, whether it's slow or fast, you know, I mean, death is, uh, you know, it's the enemy. It definitely put a massive halt on cash. It was the very last thing I think on either one of our minds. I was living in Chicago at the time. Dylan was still in Salt Lake City. And I'd say it took honestly probably about two months. And uh, again, to to credit our friend and partner in Jason Klug, the owner of Klugonics, he called us and kind of was about probably two or three months later and said, I obviously he knew what had happened. And he just said, Hey, like, do you guys want to get going again? And uh, it kind of sparked this thing in Dylan and I where, you know, you're just trying to figure out, I mean, I can remember, man, you know, a couple just weeks after, you know, you're, you're in this fog of processing and then you kind of come out and then, it, and then it gets real and then there's the next step and then you go through that. But, you know, when we decided to kind of restart cash and get that going again, it was this idea that, okay, cool, let's kind of make this our way of honoring our dad. I mean, it's... uh very difficult to lose someone, but especially the way that he went out, it was, you know, it, it was, to be totally honest, you know, it was, uh, it was an airplane crash and, uh, he was the pilot and it was crazy. Yeah. I talked to him that morning as he was taxiing out. And last thing I said to my dad was, Hey, I love you. Talk to you soon. So when we decided to like, Hey, like, let's restart. And we decided to like, let's make this a way of honoring our dad in a sense, because we had started it with him. You know, the, uh, the cooler that we make is actually called the Jeffrey cooler after our dad as a way to honor him. You know, the, the tagline on it is, you know, go everywhere and do everything. You know, our dad was, you know, an amazing person. He was human. He had plenty of faults, but he was one of these guys that he, you look back on his life and, you know, he was a professional pilot. He was in mining sales. He was. At one point, Golden Gloves boxer of Southern California. He was a stuntman. He did Marlboro commercials, you know, just a crazy life. And, you know, again, still human. You know, there's still plenty of fault to learn from. But at the same time, the, the Jeffrey Cooler go everywhere and do everything was, uh, you know, kind of paying homage uh, to our dad. So it was a unique experience as well, having a brother who's my partner in the business of going through that together. You know, I mean, it was still something that we were dealing with personally. And then to all of a sudden be back in like work mode together, you know, we definitely you know we're lifting each other up and reminding each other of why we're doing this and the difficulties that come and knowing how excited our dad would be, 
he again was a professional pilot, but he was in sales forever. And I miss my dad every day, but you know, I really wish like I could obviously introduce my dad to my kids, but like show him like what we've created and to be like, do you remember sitting in Bishop, California? And here we are. I mean, you know, we have retailers, we have thousands of customers and is everything perfect? No, but it, it, it'll be really exciting, you know, to, to be able to share that um, with, uh, with my dad someday. So yeah, so that was January 2017. <laughs> well, was, uh, I think, you know, some things in, in, in life, you know, I don't know that it really helps to say, oh, well, everything happens for a reason. I mean, we all say that because right. we all want to find right. the, the, the silver lining. And, and I think right. it's good, but yeah. some shit you just, yeah, maybe there is a lesson, but you still don't wish that it happened. I mean, those things are, no. are sudden and absolute. And, and death is a, a crazy thing because it's so absolute. And, right. and I think the other part is, is that we don't necessarily live every day reminded of death in the sense, right. not, not negatively, but you get lost in your life and it's easy to wake up. I think I'm not that old, but I can, ima- <laughs> I can imagine the way that you, you know, we all live life. It could be easy to wake up at 70 and say, what the hell? Like, right. I didn't live with that purpose or those things. And you know, I had a tragic thing happen where my, and my grandfather was older, but he got shingles and that causes a lot of mental things. And he killed my grandmother and killed himself. And I know, I'm not saying I know your experience, no, no, but, no, but, but I yeah. know how it is to get a phone call when I just drove my grand grandparents to their house five days ago and to have this experience yeah. and then be like, Oh, they're gone. Like, okay. I mean, it's just, (laughs) I I don't really know how to react. I mean, at first you're like, okay. And then you, like you said, you go through these stages. My point isn't that you need to have these tragic events or, you know, tragic, that, that could be dramatic. They're, they're life experiences. Life happens, man. Like it happens. It's, it's, it may not be fair. It may not be the way you wanted. It may not match what you thought it was going to be, but it does happen, but those things can change the trajectory of unlocking in yourself things that you might not have known possible. When I received that phone call, I can remember, as I'm sure you and your brother can, exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing. I was getting ready to go meet an investor for our company. I I mean, literally walking out the door for that company, and I called my partner co-founder and I was like, hey man, you're gonna have to cover today. And he's like, I don't know if I can do that. I was like, hey, look, you know, my grandfather just killed my grandmother and killed himself. So like you're gonna have right. to step up on this one, brother. Yeah. And do, yeah. do the best you can. Yeah, <laughs> like, good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm out for a minute. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> for today, oh, yeah. sort of got to process this crazy shit. So <laughs> yeah. um but but those things then as much as you miss people and things I do think they remind you like, hey, life is not your dad probably in perfect health, flying like he's flown every day. And yeah. it just goes to show like one minute someone's here and one minute they're gone. And that can be yeah. you. So yeah. in some level, it does, it almost could allow you to get more out of your life because you're reminded right. by that pain. Right. Like, hey, shit, man, I'm going to, I'm going to tap some shit that I didn't even know I had. So I think these things in life, there's, there's no, there's no making anybody feel better about tragic no. events. But, but now you guys have this purpose that you, 
you know, there's a purpose beyond the purpose of solving scratches on tailgates or stealing right. mats on tailgates or right. providing a better cooler. So what were the, having gone through the, the product process and these molds, and if you get the mold wrong and you got to remold, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot that you, you make mistakes that are really costly when you start getting into molding because the right. mold itself does. And I think 3D printers have helped that, but you're shaking, Depending you're shaking on the your side, head. You're like, no. <laughs> well, 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 I mean, you know, I, it's not like I would go back and change anything, but, you know, the one thing I didn't think about when manual making a product in general was the physical size of ours. You know, I mean, you think about the size of a tailgate pad, that is the size of our product. So that is obviously very dependent. You know, you're talking about 3D printers. A big part of us not being able to find manufacturing in the States was to be able to find someone that could even make a mold the size of what we needed. And then outside of that, you know, you're talking 3D printers. And if I made a little, a little small case or something, yeah, like those would be a lot more efficient for us. But the reality was that we needed a very large molding machine. We needed tooling. And, uh, we were talking about it earlier about the sizing and fit. You know, I mean, people, they're fun facts. There's 251 million registered pickups in the United States. You know, and you got to imagine that a lot of those are not being used or maybe a lot of them are like, you know, fleet vehicles, but that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of trucks out there. So then you take that and then you break it down by every manufacturer. And even from the time that we started to now, I mean, the big thing that we were always wanting to tackle that no one was doing at the time was for a backup camera. So if you go and look at a pickup now, you know, the backup camera, it's usually pointing down. Well, when we started, they were kind of hidden off to the side. So you're like, well, do we want to make a pad that, you know, you don't see over here on this one or it fits with a Tacoma? So, and again, capital being the tooling, you can only make one size. So we decided to kind of make a middle of the road best as we possibly could. We tested it on every single truck. And we know even to this day with our base cam 2.0, I mean, it's, it's as good as it can possibly be for what we can do right now. We know that it can be better, but we were always tackling like, okay, because there's always that one customer, right? Like you could have a thousand customers and there's like two or three really loud ones. And you're like, wow, everyone else seemed okay. You're making this sound like the end of the world. But for us, we just decided we're going to make one size and we did that. And we actually launched a Kickstarter. We did that as well to raise some funds. And uh, it was out. It was unreal. It was the longest 45 days of my life because, you know, you set a goal and we thought out of everything that we did, we're like, okay, we're going to do 50,000. You know, and you hear about these people, oh, I raised a quarter million dollars. I did this. And we did have success. We hit our goal. We hit 53, just a little over 53,000. And I swear the last, like, because if you don't hit your goal, you get zero of it on Kickstarter. So, and we had, we didn't even have the product that we were going to make. We had like a sample of what we thought it was going to be. And then we made our video. It turned out great. But yeah, we hit our goal. I mean, God, it was like two to three days right before. And you talk about moments in life. I can remember calling Dylan and my wife is there and I'm just bawling my eyes out like, oh my gosh, you know, we did it. We did it. And then we did it. And then you're well, like, how, okay. how hard was it? Like, it wasn't like, I mean, I don't think people understand that. You just don't put your thing on Kickstarter and then no. it just raises money. Like you literally are promoting the living shit out of this thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, getting back to capital and budget, like we didn't think about like, we're going to run a Kickstarter and know that we have to do paid ads and paid advertising and we need to do a really good video. And luckily we're able to get very scrappy. You know, we have some very good friends that donated a lot of time that are also pretty good looking. So, you know, that really worked out for the video. But uh, the time that goes into it, hiring the the ads people, you know, the I mean, just the startup cost on even doing a video, obviously, anyone that's done a professional marketing video is not cheap. So we put basically all of our chips into that Kickstarter video, knowing that if we didn't hit the 50,000, I remember Dylan and I were like, what are we going to do? And it was the first time in a while that we were like, we don't know. So the vision at that point was like, we have no other choice. Just go into it. Just do it. So we ran it by ourselves for about a week, you know, handling the digital marketing side of it with ads. We ended up hiring a company that obviously wasn't free, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a daily because people are also asking you questions daily. You know, this is a product that's never been invented. People are getting it at a discount, but you still need to like manage the interaction with people. So that was quite the experience. Anyone that's doing a Kickstarter, good luck and uh, yeah, raise raise additional capital for ads because you <laughs> need it. So, so if you can, uh, I actually, my friend and I had a idea. We still do. We have an idea around custom cashmere hoodies, which in Northern California is yeah. sort of is a cool thing, and it's not for everybody. Sure. But sure. we did have the idea of the Kickstarter, and being a finance nerd, I did the financials, and I've got to be honest with you, I can't do the finance for our product sure. and actually see a profit. I could see that it could be break even and drive marketing and sales. And right. I, I'm going to ask you this question because you mentioned it, but right. to get to, to run paid ads to pre-order your product that you don't have the cash, right. does the Kickstarter campaign actually turn out to be profitable for you? Or is it more as much about raising awareness because you've just marketed to live in daylights and <laughs> and you do have these customers that you eventually get sure but your customer you have a customer acquisition cost to something that you're trying to get a pre-order on that you're already giving a discount that you yep. don't have the cash flow for so yep. net net then you got to get the inventory and yada 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 i mean does it actually turn out to be net negative on ours we were just barely breaking even but the amount that we raised enable us to submit our first PO. So there's a reason why we didn't do a second Kickstarter, you know, even on our next product, because that was, it was not a financial benefit. It was not, if you're looking to make money and maybe if, you know, you have a smaller product or things like that, maybe that would work out. But yeah, for us, we barely broke even, but it was just a great opportunity to get exposure, to get our product out there and really to rustle together some cash that we needed and uh, that was kind of enabled us to uh, to get our first PO going so it was quite the experience but if you're looking to make money off Kickstarter especially in a larger product because you're giving it wholesale you we sold it at 50% off like on top of that you have to well most people have to get free shipping and again our product is big i mean <laughs> looking back on it it was it was crazy because again you're watching that number every day and what people don't also realize about Kickstarter someone can submit an order and then they can also delete it. So you're like, oh, great, we're moving. And then one day you lose $1,000 in sales and you're like, what happened? And then, you know, you're chasing them down and they're like, I'm good, you know. So people don't have a lot of skin in the game, but uh, it was, yeah, it was quite the experience. So oh, I appreciate you sharing, <laughs> sh sharing that because I just yeah, think that too many times, I mean, Kickstarter campaigns, maybe in the early days when Kickstarter 
had three customers themselves and was willing right. to promote the living daylights out of it, but they just don't have that. And then you take credit card processing fees into account and you're already selling it wholesale. And, and you could have made a mistake. And if you make a mistake and yeah. you're already not <laughs> yeah. even break even, you're now right. you're in the hole and you, I think, and unless you give all the money back, you're on the hook for that. Oh, so there are companies that I've heard that never fulfilled product. I luckily, we didn't have to look into much of that, but I think that the assumption is like, there's a chance that you won't get your product. I mean, we were, we had a delivery date and we were probably, I want to say seven months late, which for Kickstarter standards, that's pretty, yeah, pretty standard. But you know, I mean, I've heard of people two, three years. Oh, you know, I waited three you, years for this thing that's a credit card thing that puts all your oh, credit yeah. cards in one credit card. I waited three sure. years for that. And sure. I guess people who submit there are like, oh, I, I took the chance and right. whatever. But I still think technically you're on the hook eventually to to deliver something unless you just go something. out of business. Because otherwise you'd just be stealing, uh, not stealing. but It, it would. It would be, yeah. It, yeah, and, and I've heard of companies that I've referred to them as Kickstarter companies where every, I'm like, why every time that you launch a product, you need to do a Kickstarter? What's happening in between? You know, like, why aren't you... And, you know, again, I've heard of really successful companies that have launched on Kickstarter and are doing millions of dollars. And again, from our standpoint, it was a success for us because it was a stepping stone to get where we needed. But uh, no, it's not a it's not a profitable business, at least from our experience. So yeah, I appreciate uh, you sharing that. And it yeah. doesn't have to be. I'm not saying no. that it has to be. It has a sure. year function that got you to do a PO, which sort of got yeah. you a relationship and then it bought you right. time to get other customers. And it exactly probably got you a a lot of press mainly because you guys are just doing whatever you have to do to get people to that campaign. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of interviews, a lot of, uh, we didn't know what we were talking about and obviously still feel like that sometimes, but, uh, in those days it was, we don't have a product. And again, the product that we promoted on Kickstarter turned out to be way different than we actually delivered. It was much better, but, uh, it was one of those things where as we're going through the process, you know, you're like, Oh, it can be better. So we'll update it. And, yeah, thankful for all the Kickstarter backers because that was that was a big deal. Fifty three thousand dollars. That's that's a chunk of money. So we were very thankful for those. And honestly, we've I actually just met. You know, we did a mountain bike event the other night, and a guy said, "Hey, I'm Kickstarter number X." And I looked him up, and I'm like, "Yeah, you know." So it's cool to see those people, you know, interact. And um, obviously, there were plenty of friends that just you know bought to support the company. But to have strangers purchasing your company for the first time ever, even if it's Kickstarter or whatever, was one of the cooler experiences as a business owner. It was it was amazing. It was cool. So you do the Kickstarter, you get to do your PO, you're still working part-time, hustling yeah. this thing. When do you turn to full-time or, or has it even turned to full-time yet? So I have a full-time job and I have cash is definitely more than full-time as well. Yeah, right. I mean, any side hustle is getting, getting, <laughs> getting bigger. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, Tyler, I've talked to... Uh, we had a conversation we taped. It isn't out yet. It'll be out by the time this comes out, which is with the founder of Princeton Carbon Works, which makes road bike wheels. And he still does it on the side. He hired a, actually a CEO and a team. He's the coach of Princeton rowing team, lightweight team. He's a, right. you know, national ranked rower was at Princeton himself. And I think you don't have to do it full time. I mean, another guy we've had on the show, Ballsy, he worked for Google for th three years. A company he was involved with got sold. 
He mm-hmm. does his company ballsy on the side. It's actually do, it was doing three and a half million before he jumped ship. And I actually think that's really smart. And I will tell you that any company that I've ever started, if I really look back, they were all quote, you know, I don't know that side hustle gives it the credit, but they're all things I started on the side that when I was basically working my rear off on nights yeah. and, and weekends. And, and I actually think that that's really smart. I think sometimes people raise money too fast and now you're, you know, now you're on the clock to the investors fairly yeah. for the investors, but, and you can't out, the market doesn't care how much money you raised. The customer right. doesn't, I mean, maybe they care a little bit to say, are you going to be around for three years? But right. if that's not the purchasing decision. The purchasing decision no. is, hey, do you keep scratches off the back of my car and do you allow me to keep other, or truck and have other tools? So right. I think that that's, I think it's the right way until you get volume and free cash flow enough that you can do it. Because if you guys take that money out as salary, you know, I know it's hard, man, been there doing it. Yeah. But that's money that doesn't go into marketing that you probably need to dump into marketing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, I will say that from day one, Dylan and I have, you know, we have a vision of the company and, you know, we have never taken any sort of income from it. And, you know, when it's in the beginning and, you know, you're just conceptualizing and it's a lot simpler. But then when you start seeing sales and it's funny, I mean, you know, we've had interns, paid interns, we've got sales reps, you know, and I just always kind of laugh when I'm, you know, writing a check to an intern. I'm like, man, you've made X amount more than I ever have in four years and I'm doing so. But uh, but again, it's uh, kudos to anyone who's running a company by themselves, because where the time is certainly accumulating more and more, the more sales and volume that we have. I'm so thankful to be able to have my brother that I just went to Hawaii for a week with my wife and I literally was able to check out. You know, it's it's impossible. You know, you, you're looking, you know, you're checking stuff, but I was so thankful to be able to have that time and have my brother and business partner say, take it, do your thing. I got it. Because we even laughed about it when I got back. I'm like, how would you do this if you didn't have someone else or if you had a retail? I'm so that's not to take away from the reality of stress that goes into a company. But um, I'm so thankful to be able to have someone that I can lean on. But to your point, I mean, we're definitely just before I got on here, I mean, you know, we're looking to hire people for X and to do this. And, you know, we have people doing fulfillment. And so you find that your time, because if I calculate what time I'm losing and the amount of money I've lost in my time to the company, I'm like, it drives me nuts. But at the same time, I don't think about it like that, because it's our company. And all time that's invested into it is growing the company. But at some point with life and call it in my case, you know, two little kids, a wife and skiing, mountain biking, the rest of it. I just, Dylan and I invested in the, in, in our time by resourcing out and, you know, and sourcing out other jobs. So it is definitely getting to the point of growth where we know that, you know, like you're saying, people, when you start, they want to hear about the story and you guys are going and good job. And then you get product and then you start shipping and people kind of stop giving a shit about, okay, two brother company. That's neat, but I need a return label, you know, like, <laughs> and, and that's been something that we've seen. And, uh, you know, I mean, again, we have a great story. We are a genuine company. We're a genuine two brother startup. Yeah. But I know, I'm not def- buying the product. The, the people in the beginning no, buy the product no. that I'm buying the product. Cause I don't, I, yeah. I don't know you guys. I, I'm saying some customer sure. like, yeah, that, that sounds interesting, but that's not why I'm buying it. I'm buying it because I don't want right. scratches on the back of my tailgate and I want to keep my tools in. I don't want someone to steal it when I'm biking. And exactly. like you said, so I think all those things matter and together they help. And it may right. get, 
it may get someone over the sale because you're priced whatever. What is your retail price? So three twenty five for the entire base camp system, and then two thirty for the pad. So it's not cheap. You know? No, right. So it's not a cheap yeah. investment, but it it's a cheap investment when you think you're going to stretch your car and then have to get it fixed and 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 all that crap. But and yeah. if you buy a cheaper one and it gets stolen. You know, you're not going to report that to insurance. So if you do the math, no. expensive yeah. investment, but relatively not as expensive if you're into that hobby. Not to mention, and I'm not saying this. I mean, I'm a road biker. Like my bike was <laughs> fifteen grand. Yeah. So yeah, fifteen like, grand. Like, like you know, or a mountain bike can be worth ten or fifteen. Or I've seen them for easily. seventeen. I saw a twenty grand easily. bike the other day. I mean, oh, so yeah. you know, if you're into your sport, relatively speaking, like invest in it. I mean, you spend all these hours for enjoyment, you might as well do it, but, but it's still a, a real investment. So the two brother team and the, and that starting with their dad is definitely a cool story. But to your point, like, yeah. I think for all of us, we're like, okay, okay. man, like now, now the cool. rubber meets the road. Like this product's yeah. got to perform. Exactly. I got to return this freaking master, you know, big yeah. thing. And right. do you got, do you and your brother have a, a goal? Like, Hey, when we get to 3 million in revenue and 500 in EBITDA, we're going to, quit our jobs or is it are you just feeling it out so our vision has always been to sell the company or it has to get to a point for us to quit our our goal is to sell yeah you know we want to be acquired um you know that was a major part of the investment into our intellectual property is that we literally do have the the lock itself and then as it folds down the modular accessories on the inside you know those are our two utility patents and uh we always had an idea that we know that companies would want that and so our goal for us and you know you brought up investors was you know that that is our goal while at the same time investing all of our time into it to get to that point while remaining as much cash positive as we can you know not having salaries is obviously a major part of that and uh you know a lot of a lot of nights a lot of weekends a lot of a lot of time in the warehouse with my family which is always fun but uh, yeah, we we want to uh, be acquired. Is, I think that's a, I think that's a fine strategy. You're still building a yeah. quality product, and yeah. what you're really saying is, hey, look, we're going to prove that there's there there's a need for this, and a bigger company can come in and use their distribution network and their capital and resources to scale it, because yeah. that's just not something that we want to do, and that right. that's totally okay. Like that's a real yeah. strategy, and I think the good news for you. Is that if you build a quality product that has customers, I know you might not like this answer, but if you don't get acquired and you build a successful company that starts to generate cash, which ultimately a buyer is going to want to know, they're going to buy it because it can make money, then, you know, you have an insurance policy. So, and I think it's good to know your strategy and I'm grateful for you sharing your story and, and honest feedback about you know, what it's like. Cause on the outside, someone looks at, at cash and they're like, man, those guys are badass brothers who are mountain biking and just living yeah. the life. And, sure. and, and you are living a great <laughs> life, but, yeah, but it's no, not, totally. not, not, not like you took the G5 to your, to go see no. your, your, your nearest distributor. Um, no, no, we did not. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, with that, in mind, what is, I mean, you're, you've got a full-time job, you're running this in the night and weekends and holidays, like I'm sure yeah. you'll be working this weekend, Memorial Day for listeners coming up when we're recording this. What does your day look like now? So my day, 
a standard day for me, anyone with kids, you know, I have an eight month year old baby and a three year old uh, little boy, you know, typically I've always been an early riser, but with them, you know, it's definitely, there's no choice. My wife and I do a really good job of kind of handing each other off. So I'm up anywhere from five thirty to six thirty in the morning. Sometimes, you know, when I'm, when it's one of those good sleeping nights, I don't know, Brandon, if you have kids or not, but it varies. So, yeah, I don't have kids, um, luckily. Yeah. I mean, not luckily and unluckily, sure, however sure. you want to see it. But yeah. I cannot say that I have experienced, <laughs> other than puppies and kittens and sure. things like that, what it actually feels like to have a screaming human in the other room. So, Yeah. So, you know, I mean, with that, it's a great thing being a parent with young kids and a business owner because you're up anyways. You know, I mean, regardless, you know, and again, I'm thankful to have Dylan as a partner, but also my wife, Carolyn, just as a great as my wife where, you know, there are days when I'm like, honey, we both need to be up, you know, we both need to get going. So with that being said, 5.30 to 6.30, uh, get them out uh, the door, out to daycare, one of the best investments in our life, you know, you're buying time with daycare, obviously. And whether I, you know, picked up running quite a bit in the last couple of years, because I mean, where we live in Salt Lake, I mean, I can be skiing within 25 minutes, I can be mountain biking within 25 minutes. But I definitely picked up running quite a bit more because the amount of time that it takes to get going is seconds out the door. So, you know, definitely on my computer answering emails anywhere from 7.30 to 8. And then from there, um, you know, kind of blocking out time has been one of these things where for years I would just try to tackle everything. You know, an email would come in, I'll, I'll get that, or the next email. And then and I just pretty quickly found out I'm being very inefficient and I'm not doing really anything well. And so I've taken, and this is something that I learned just in the last couple of years, juggling a full-time job and then obviously cash is, you know, I need to block out time for certain things. I call it batching. Batching, exactly. So batching and setting, you know, whether it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, obviously each project has its own timeline, but really blocking out the calendar to be like, I have a project, I'm going to get it done. Here's the time that's for that. Obviously, things, life comes up, you know, you get phone calls, your insurance, whatever it is. But, you know, you can kind of, I've learned for me that it's really important to not ignore things, but to definitely, you know, silence the call. I will call them back. I'm doing this right now. Call it ADHD, call it whatever you want. I definitely have trouble sitting still. But when I have a calendar that's like, this is what you're doing for an hour, and I set it up, it makes it a lot simpler. Well, at the same time, you know, as someone that also has a life outside of, you know, work, I mean, from five o'clock to about 730, my life is feeding two kids, helping my wife, giving them baths. And that's something that I've had to learn to protect. Not that anyone was trying to get in, you know, or do anything bad, but I would be trying to do that and answer emails and like, it's impossible. And there are things, as you know, that you need to answer right now. You know, you need to do this today. It needs to be done. But I've just learned that batching in your personal life is very important too. And for me, that batching involves work, that involves, well, my family, number one, work, and then exercise and being disciplined in, you know, I don't want to run today. I, you know, I love mountain biking. It's so much fun. But at some point, you know, for anyone that rides uphill, you're like, man, this is tough, you know, like four or five more miles. But knowing that feeling of, you know, when you get done, whether it's running, you know, I mean, we ski pretty hard out here in Utah, out at snow, you know, when your legs are tired or whatever, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling of accomplishing it. And it's one very minor thing. Even this morning, like, you know, I wanted, I had a goal of whatever, three, three and a half miles at a very short amount of time this morning. 
And I kind of started running and I'm going through my head and I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should do like two. And I'm like, no, like I said, three and a half, like go, you know, and that feeling, I mean, that's so cool just to accomplish something small, like in your head. Cause it is, you know, like I'm not like a big Strava guy or competing like that, but you know, just to have that completed and then obviously throw in endorphins and everything else that comes with it. It really, I love to run, you know, first thing in the morning or mountain biking first thing in the morning, just in about three espressos too, but it's just such a great way, way to start the day and kind of sets up for the rest of it. Cause it's also just like this, I mean, it's great breathing technique, you know, when you're, when you're gasping for air at the end of your run. So, so. That's a day in the life of me. And it's, and it's changing, you know, I mean, there's travel that comes up. I mean, we haven't been to our factories and, you know, since COVID started, but, you know, I mean, those will start to naturally start happening again. And, you know, you just need to work around, uh, what life throws at you and, and also give yourself a break. I didn't do that for a long time where, and I know every entrepreneur is different, but I like had a vision of this is exactly what it's going to be. And, and it doesn't mean you're not disciplined, but like something doesn't work out. You know, I mean, we had some pretty serious manufacturing problems at the beginning that you can jump to the end of the conclusion of like, well, that's the end of us. It's like, there's 10 things that you need to do, do one at a time. And that's something that I genuinely have really started to learn how to manage better, especially in the last couple of years. Well, I appreciate so. you sharing your day. If, if you yeah. sort of combined it, but if you could give us three HPTs, high percentage tips for fellow business owners what would they, or not, what would they be? What are they? Yeah. So from my perspective and, and my, uh, kind of my story in order to be highly efficient, you know, I think that you need to be calm. So I would say whether it's five seconds in the morning, if you can get five minutes, take some time, call it. If you meditate, meditate, you know, for me, I pray, take that time and start your day like that whenever, wherever possible. I definitely combine it, you know, but the batching for me has been immense and learning how to ignore phone calls, not that you're not going to get back to them, but you don't have to address every single problem right now and prioritize your, I mean, I always call it old school, whatever. Everyone's got apps. Like I just, I have a to-do list. I'm writing it down. I jot down notes. I mean, that's the way that I do it. And I'll write them down and then I prioritize one, two, three, Cause there will be 40 items on there or some items, you know, some days luckily there's maybe five or six, but I have to prioritize them because it's overwhelming if you see all of the things that need to be done, but then apply just a game plan to them. You know, and for me, the prioritizing via batching is kind of, uh, it's been really successful and it's helped me, but starting the day with however you can just take some time to like breathe. Like, you know, we can all wake up and just jump right into our phones and you can do that, but for me, just taking some time, you know, like there's life outside of everything that's going on in your phone and the world's not going to die if, if you don't answer them at, you know, 5.13 a.m. So, so calm, that was batching calm. and prioritize. I got it. Um, yes. Perfect. Yes. Where can listeners find cash? So you can find us at our website, trustcash.com. It's T-R-U-S-T-C-A-C-H-E.com. And uh, we actually set up a code for all Edge listeners. So get on our website and through the end of June, use code EDGE20, E-D-G-E-20, and uh, you'll get 20% off and free shipping on all products. Man, that's um, awesome. Thank you for doing yeah. that. We'll, yeah, we'll, absolutely. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes for everybody and Thank we'll you. blast it out to our email list. We've got, I think, 17,400 listeners now. So Nice. Congrats. We'll, we'll send that out. And thanks a lot for being on the show, Tyler and Sharon real insights and information and 
you got a really cool product. I was like to talk Thank to you, you and it turned out to be just as good as I thought. So thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Brandon. I really appreciate your time. Bye everyone.